By narrowing in on a clear niche, you immediately position yourself as an expert and can command a premium price. Doesn't that sound fabulous? Well, today's guest is going to tell us just how we can do that. Pia Silva is an entrepreneur, speaker, and author of Badass Your Brand, the Impatient Entrepreneur's Guide to Turning Expertise into Profit. She helps entrepreneurs badass their brand and business to scale their freedom with profit. She is a Forbes contributor and has been featured on MSNBC's Your Business, Entrepreneur on Fire, and the You Gurus and Million Dollar Women Summits, to name a few. Pia is passionate about efficiency and spending time with family, and she will soon launch her own podcast, Show Your Business Who's Boss. Join me as Pia and I dive into branding, niching down, and how to be unapologetically your brand. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Second Phase Podcast. I'm your host, Robin Graham, a personal branding expert and photographer. I am so excited you are here with me today to chat all about personal branding, personal development, and life overall in the second phase. What is the second phase? The second phase for me was a change in careers and learning how to navigate a new world and build a business from the ground up when I was terrified to put myself out into the world. For some, the second phase is a significant lifestyle change, a traumatic loss, a move, an illness. It could be any number of things. No matter the definition of your second phase, we are here together to learn about creating a personal brand that stands out and makes an impact and grow as our authentic selves and follow our callings, our passions, our visions, and our values. Now grab your cup of coffee or the dog's leash and let's dive in to a new episode. Hi, Pia. Hi, how you doing, Robin? I'm good, thanks. Welcome to the Second Phase Podcast. Excited to be here. Well, I am like your little groupie over here in Pennsylvania, so I am really excited that you're here. <laughs> Yay. Well, that makes me more excited, Robin. <laughs> I'm like blushing. <laughs> the audience can't see that though. Um, so will you please tell the listeners just a little bit about you? Sure. So I'm Pia Silva. Um, I have a company called Worst of All Design with my husband, Steve. Um, we build badass brands without the BS for one to three person service businesses in one to three day intensives. It's a very unique model, um, but it has totally transformed the way that we live because it creates, it's a very premium service that has given us a lot of freedom in our lives. And that's what we were always searching for. And, um, you know, we have that company and in the recent years, we've actually, I've put a lot more energy into, this is why I'm so excited to be here, into my personal brand so that I could actually share with more and more people how I did that because I think... I think there are so many individuals who are selling their services who are struggling and this information can really help them. Well, I, I can say hands down that your information helped me. So I'm really excited for you to be able to share it with my listeners and all of the people who are, they've heard me say a lot of these things, but having that second opinion and someone who's a published author and a Forbes contributor say all the things that I like to say, I think it's going to be just really right. um, 
eye-opening for everybody <laughs> yeah. to say, okay, this is this really does mean a lot and it really is important. So Pia, what was your first phase? Well, I really think of the service business as the first phase of my overall business experience. Um, so I started my company. I didn't think of it as a company or a business, actually. Steve was a freelance designer and we just didn't want to work for other people anymore. So I said, you know what? I think I don't know anything about this. I don't know anything about graphic design, but I feel like I could find us clients. And I think that I could get enough clients to just at least make what we make now because we're not making very much money. And that's how it started in our very small Brooklyn apartment, the two of us, me just hustling to find clients. And he's an artist and a creative. So that was never his um, forte anyway. <laughs> and money and charging and managing projects and invoicing, none of that had, he had no interest in any of that. So that's how we started the business. Um, I did, you know, I can tell you all about it, depending on what you want to hear. Um, all kinds of things to try to figure out how to get clients. And in that process, I did a lot of networking. And in the networking, I encountered so many other people doing what I did. And they were all doing a lot of the same things. And I thought, because I knew nothing, that what they were doing is what you were supposed to do. And so I went on this journey of trying to build this small agency. It just, that's just what seemed like success meant because that's what everybody around me was trying to do. They wanted bigger clients. They wanted bigger projects, higher price tags. And then you had to look legitimate in order to get those prices. So, you know, they wanted an office, they wanted employees, the whole thing. And in that journey, um, I tried all kinds of things. I copied a lot of stuff that other people were doing. And about three years into that, I fell into debt. Um, I, I maxed out my credit cards. I had no cash in the bank. Like we had this very high overhead and we could not close clients. I had so many proposals out, no clients were closing. Um, and that was a pivotal moment for me because I had to make a change. And the change that I made was to completely flip our business on its head and restructure it into the model that it is today, which is this intensive model. Um, and I had so much success with that, um, that it became a business that just gives us the lifestyle we want. You know, we get to work with a handful of very premium clients every year and have the rest of the year to enjoy our life. So I would say that is phase one for me. That was phase one. Was now, phase one. tell me well, your journey, and I know I've read this in some of the articles you've written. When you did you start to hire coaches and look at the funnels and all of these different types of business models in phase one, or was that part of your journey from phase one into phase two? Mm. So I definitely took programs, had coaches um, in phase one. Um, I didn't do any funnels in phase one, though. The only thing I started in phase one on the recommendation of one of my business coaches was to write a newsletter and a blog and start speaking, something I had never done before, was completely terrified about. I was not a writer. I mean, the whole, both of these things, the concept of I'm going to write something and put it out there as if I know what I'm talking about. I'm going to get on a stage and tell people. 
things as if I know what I'm talking about was completely foreign to me. But my business coach, Evan Horowitz, my friend to this day, so awesome. He just told me, you just have to do it. And he just pushed me to do it. And that planted the seeds of what became all the marketing for our business and then became phase two as well. But I didn't do the funnels or any of that real content marketing until phase two. Until phase two. Mm -hmm. And did you, as far as hiring a coach, like what was your drive to do that? And how, for, how did you find one that was the right fit for you? How did you know that Evan was the right fit for you? Or did you go through a series of others before you found Evan? And then the second question with that is, how do you know when a coach is not working for you? And how do you do that pivot away from them? Yeah, um, I, I wouldn't say I went through a series of coaches. I worked with many coaches. I have worked with many coaches um, and I enjoy working with different coaches. So I worked with a coach recently um, and had an amazing experience with her, but I'm not working with her at this moment. And I might work with another coach in the future. My experience with coaches is um, I really enjoy seeing how a coach, what their approach is and learning all the strategies that they're all about. And in my experience working with all these different coaches, I got a lot of great stuff out of them. And then I was like, great, I'm going to go do that. <laughs> I'm going to go try that. I don't I'm not necessarily looking to work with you for years and years. Um, yeah. And some of them I, I, I got more out of than others, but I got something valuable out of, I have gotten more than one thing that was valuable out of every coach I've worked with. And to me, if you just get one or two things out of working with anyone or out of a program or out of a book, it's golden. Like mm -hmm. those things could, I only worked with Evan for four months. I mean, if four months and he is the reason that I started speaking and writing, which is the foundation of everything I do now. That's incredible. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm one who will, I, I'm an easy sell <laughs> and I buy <laughs> early and often. <laughs> so I will try everything and everyone. I'm, I'm really, I'm the opposite of what I probably recommend, which is, you know, verify and <laughs> ask around. I'll just try, I'll try anyone because I think everyone has value to give. Oh, that's such a good point. And you're right. I've learned so much from other people, whether or not I've hired them or whether or not I've learned from their articles that I've read or their blog post or their social media post. But there's always value when you absorb and you read and absorb information from another source. Yeah. And, you know, I think at the highest levels, people are sharing a lot of the same information. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean that there isn't value in getting it from multiple sources. I find reading the same information, sometimes it, it doesn't even seem like the same information until you go really deep. And then you realize this is all kind of saying the same core universal principle because all of this is based on some really core universal principles. But it's so valuable to hear it from this person's perspective and voice and their story, and then this person's perspective and voice and their story. And it just, mm -hmm. it's like, it computes more or differently. So I, I like, I like seeing different people's points of view. Yeah, I do too. And I think each one of us have take a different point of view and it resonates different with us individually as compared to, you know, how, like I may read something, it'll re really resonate with me and it may completely just not mean anything to you. So, or vice versa. Absolutely. And I find that sometimes I, cause I will read books and pull out the part that I love and 
you know, probably unconscious. I'm not even noticing, but I'm ignoring the rest. And I'll tell someone, oh, this is a great book. And then they'll read it and they'll say, I really didn't like that book except for that one thing. I'm like, yeah, well, that one thing is everything. (laughs) I mean, I don't need the book to be great. I need that one piece of information. So it's just, to me, it's like how you look at it and the the lens that you go through it. I'm not looking for everybody to solve anybody, to solve all my problems or to be perfect in any way. I'm not looking for any book to be perfect in any way. A lot of books are really meandering and full of stories that have, you know, are kind of boring. And that's okay. If I get that one piece of information out of it, it is worth its weight in gold. Yeah, because if one piece of information can really transform your entire business or life. Everything, everything. Yeah. Yep. If okay, you I love if it. you look for it and if you're willing to take it, I think some people are are um they want the whole package to be the answer and then possibly miss the golden nuggets because of it. Oh, so an open mind and then a willingness to either employ what you learned or take mm-hmm. action on it. Yeah. And find the gold. Even in things I have hired um, companies, I have taken programs where, you know, honestly, they, I didn't think they were technically worth what they, what I paid for them, but then I squeezed value out of them anyway. I looked for other ways to get value out of them. So, you know, if you, if you want value, it's always there, even with people that are disappointing. Yeah. So tell me how you, once your coach recommended to you that you should start speaking and writing, tell me how you transformed into a writer and a speaker and what, you know, how did you create those opportunities for yourself? Yeah. Well, the blog writing was simply writing on my own website, um, and sending it out in an email to, this was a long time ago. Um, I sent it out to an email to everyone I had ever met networking whose contacts I had created. So that's how I started my list. Uh, and then and I just did that consistently for years. I just wrote an article every other month on my blog and I emailed it out. And I didn't have any other strategy besides that. And I actually found that even with almost no strategy, <laughs> except to just write great content, um, it took a little while, but certainly after you know eight months, a year, remember I was only writing this every other week, I started getting inquiries from people who said, I've been reading your emails. I've been getting your emails. And I watched it snowball over the years because that consistency of showing up in somebody's email box, even for people that don't necessarily open it, just seeing your name is so valuable. And so I really got to experience that. Um, And then for the speaking, he just told me... (laughs) He, I mean, right. How do you start this? He said, and this is what I pass on to everybody that wants to speak. He said, make a list of places that you think might host you as a speaker. So local co-working spaces, you know, local networking events, whatever, and um, write a title of your speech and a little blurb and send it to them with a bio and see if they'll take it. And I said, but I don't have a speech yet. And he says, you'll figure that out later. Just book your first talk. And once you have your talk, you'll definitely figure out your first speech. And so I did that. And, you know, it takes a lot of nerve to do it, but I had a coach saying, look, Pia, just, just go for it. You know, that this is how this works. And so that's how I got my first uh, speaking engagement. That's awesome. And how big was your first audience? Uh, probably like six people. <laughs> yeah. I, I, the, I figured that was probably the case. My, mine too. Um, but I think it's important to note that you don't become an overnight speaking success, <laughs> you know, like it take you, you have to present, you have to start, you 
typically start small and then your audience builds as you build that credibility. Yeah. And at that time, I wasn't ready to be in front of a larger audience. Um, I yeah. had never spoken on stage before. You know, my talk, it was the first version of a talk. Uh -huh. So, uh, you know, I think with your experience comes the larger stages when you're ready for them. Yeah. And as your confidence builds and then you can own the stage. Absolutely. And, you know, over the years, not only did I speak on lots of stages and look for opportunities at every, every opportunity I could, even if I knew it really wasn't going to help my business, I took all those opportunities to speak because there is nothing like speaking on stage. You can practice in your room by yourself a million times and it goes out the window when you're on stage. Whatever happens on stage <laughs> is not in your control. It's kind of like I was a dancer. It's kind of like dancing. You practice, you practice, you practice, and then it's muscle memory. If you're thinking about it when you're doing your dance, that's a problem. Your body has yeah. to already know it. So um, that's, you know, and I also took, I took a program about selling from the stage for six months, which gave me a lot of opportunity to speak in front of the group because uh, there were there were um, intermittent in-person meetings. I've worked with a speaking coach, um, which was incredibly helpful. So, you know, I want people to know that because I think a lot of people think that speaking is something that you're either good at or you're not. I was a terrible, terrible public speaker, and I did a lot of practice to become uh, more powerful on stage. Yeah, I think that's a really important message because you don't wake up one morning and decide you're going to be a public speaker or a motivational speaker and that's it. <laughs> you can't do that. It takes a lot of practice. And I know for me over the years, it was, you know, calming the anxiety and realizing that I don't have to have everything scripted out. I don't have to memorize it because if I just go from my heart and my mind and what I know and what I believe in, it's going to be so much more effective than if I try to memorize and just recite from slides. Yeah. No, I mean, I've never, I've never memorized. I can't memorize speeches. It trips no. me up as well. Yeah. I just have my bullet points and just mm -hmm. talk about that story, then talk about that story, then that one. Yeah. Which stories are, I think the key to it is when you have stories that can relate and how you've, you know, like you have your story and, and I want to jump into your book now because, um, well, you know, that the book has really influenced me and my business, but having those stories really leads you into being able to share, I think. And you use your story to start your book. Like that's the first part of your book is all the things you did wrong in the beginning and how you were broke and then had to really rethink everything. Yeah. I also think that story is how your content and brand is yours. Uh, I think a lot of people think that content and marketing is about teaching and how, but the information is out there. So it's about how you tell it and your specific story that's going to connect and resonate with certain people that are your ideal clients. So storytelling is one of the biggest um, skills these days. I think that everyone, I just, I, sometimes I talk to like college kids, you know, my cousin or her friends are like, well, I don't know what to do with my life. I'm like, learn how to tell stories and write. To me, you could do anything if you can do that. Yeah, absolutely. And now there are so many entrepreneurs who aren't writers and they need help with their writing. So <laughs> I've told several people that I'm like, you know, moms have said, Oh, I, I want my child to get a degree in science or math and, or, or medicine. And, and they just want to be a writer. And I'm like, good for them. There are so many opportunities now. Mm -hmm. 
the sky's the limit, especially with all of the digital resources with for writers. Oh yeah. If you're a great writer, you can make a lot of money. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, and live your life in a free way, which is I think what most of us entrepreneurs are looking for. Yes. <laughs> I, I would agree. <laughs> yes. 100%. Okay. So let's dive into the book. And okay. I have, um, well, my copy of the book, which I read, I guess about three, three and a half years ago is dog-eared. It's highlighted. It's underlined. I've got sticky <laughs> notes, but there are several things that I want to really talk about with you because, um, and the listeners probably don't know this, but I read Pia's book and it completely transformed my business because I was, my business was not growing as fast as I wanted it to grow. And I had been in the grind of doing every kind of photography, but I wasn't being fueled. And in my heart, I think because of my background, teaching is something that I love to do. I love educating other people, sharing my knowledge and helping other people grow. So when I read Pia's book, it really turned, helped me turn a corner and focus on where my excellence was. And that was personal branding. And so I downsized my business to focus on or niche down, I guess I should say not downsized, but focus on professional headshots, working with business people, and then doing personal branding photography, but also adding that mentoring slash coaching component from a personal branding perspective. So for me, this book was a huge influence and I would highly recommend it to anyone out there who is in phase one and maybe not happy and looking for a transition or someone who is going, jumping in with both feet for your second phase or just starting entrepreneurship because there's so much value in this book. Um, the book is called Badass Your Brand and on page 162, I'm just going to read this little excerpt and then I want you <laughs> okay. to, to, to talk about it. Okay. So money from an ideal client increases your credibility in the market in your area of expertise as each successful project produces another referral. Each meaningful project is another opportunity to increase your value and therefore your future pricing model. But when you work with clients outside your niche, all you are doing is making money. So that says volumes because I want you to talk a little bit about or maybe a lot about niching down and how important that is and how for me, at least in my perspective, and I, I think you'll agree is once you niche down, then you can identify who your ideal client is. But before that, you really, you really can't. Yeah. Um, well, so niching down can mean a lot of things. There's a lot of different ways to niche down. It can be in the, uh, the target market. So some sort of space, it can be the kind of projects you do. It can be the size of the client and it can be the personality of the client. And, you know, I ideally say it's multiple, you know, the intersection of all of those. So I think the process of niching down uh, can happen over time and you can become more and more niche. And actually when we started the brand up process, we didn't say service businesses at first. We learned that over time. After we did a couple of products, we said, you know what? Those are not as fun. We're not as good at them. They're a little more annoying. We won't do those anymore. So I think it's a process. I, I agree Why? completely. There yeah. are different levels of niching down. And I think there's also people confuse niching down to um, eliminating other things you're passionate about. And you don't need to do that. You can be multi-passionate within a niche. Yes. 
Oh my gosh. That is the biggest pushback on niching down is I want to do lots of things. I'm going to get bored. First of all, I don't think niching down is boring at all. Quite the opposite. It actually, I think of it like a, uh, an hourglass. You niche down first so you can open back up. And the reason is once you go focus somewhere, you can go really deep in that space and actually open it back up. So as you did, you started by focusing on the personal branding, and then you started to see all these opportunities for you to add value around the personal branding. So you kind of niche down and then open back up, but mm -hmm. you open back up around something where you were, every time you added another piece of value, it was still to the same market. And it was still, um, it was kind of growing one specific kind of service and value as opposed to, oh, let me tack this thing on that may or may not be related. Or, right. you know, I, somebody came to me and they were not in my niche at all, but I could do that. So now I'm, I'm doing work for, you know, this plumbing company. <laughs> You're like, yeah, well, that's not helping you at all. And, and the, the reason that paragraph, I think a lot of people don't think of it that way is I think about every client as having two, as, as giving you two pieces of value. One of them is the money and the other is the value in, I mean, maybe more than two. Another is the value that you're getting by being able to work with yet another ideal client and become that much better at working with that specific client. Um, and then there's the value of now you have another ideal client out there in the world who had a good experience with you that can send you referrals. And if you don't also get that value, it's just cash, which is okay, but you have to understand that it's just cash. So you see that it's not furthering your efforts of building this brand and reputation and getting those clients to come to you in the future. Absolutely. And I think when you take on those clients that are not within your niche or your ideal audience, you're not being fueled. And I think like you said, when you were working with those, you end up getting frustrated or annoyed because they're not fueling what you need fueled within yourself. And it's taking away from your creative process because they have different expectations or wants or needs that really don't fall into what fuels you. Well, and also it's just whenever it's outside of your area of expertise, it just will take more energy, more time. You know, your process won't be able, it won't be as fluid. You'll end up doing other things to make it work. Um, to me, it's all about this time money ratio in terms of profitability and finding the freedom. So the second it looks like it's going to take more time, it, you really have to start weighing it against the, you know, what is the opportunity cost of taking this client? It's, it, you know, you might think I don't have clients right now, so I need to take that client. But what you will do if you take that client is you won't spend more energy looking for that right client. So there is a cost. I don't think people think of it as cost. Oh, well, no, it's just money. So I'll take that client. I think there is a real cost to it. And if you need to take that client at that moment, just know that you're doing that. It's okay. And I always want people to know that, you know, people, when they niche down, sometimes there's a gap between getting clients because you started to say no to clients who aren't your ideal client. And what do I do in that gap? You know, and I tell them if you need to take a client here and there, by all means, but just know that that's what it is. Just know that it's a cash client to tide you over until the next, until you start to increase your branding. And then as you're on that path, if you double down on your focus and your niche, you're going to be more successful in the long run. You're going to get what you want faster. Yeah. I love that. It's so, and it's so true. 
Are you a businesswoman or entrepreneur who is transitioning into something new, into the second phase? Are you trying to figure out how to create an audience, how to grow a presence online, but you are stuck on the tech and the how-to? You have no idea how to attract new clients into this business. Don't worry. I am going to give you the exact blueprint on how to connect and grow your audience and attract more clients. During this brand marketing strategy call, we are going to go through the six pillars of success for your brand. This includes, but is not limited to, online marketing, storytelling, relationship building, differentiation, visual branding, and genuine networking. Sit with me for an hour and let's transform your brand strategy. Or do you learn better in a group environment? Join me along with five other women just like you and collaborate and mastermind together in one of my popular mini brand mastermind sessions. In two one-hour sessions, each one of you will get 15 minutes with, my, with me personally, along with a learning opportunity with each of your peers. We will go through each of the six pillars of brand marketing success, and I will help you strategize in all of the areas mentioned before. The next mini mastermind session starts May 6th. Here's what a mini mastermind looks like. We will meet for two one-hour sessions. Three of you will go each week. I will personally guide you through high-level brand marketing strategies. I will then open up at the end of each session, 15 minutes for Q&A. And you will also have access to the private Facebook group to ask me questions at any time. In the Facebook group, you'll also have opportunities to network, to grow your referral source, and have accountability partnerships. This can be a great option for those of you who want to save money, but have the desire to elevate your brand. To learn more about either program, visit my website. You can find the brand strategy sessions at www.robingrahamphotography.com slash brand hyphen marketing hyphen strategy hyphen session, or go to shop on my website. That's www.robingrahamphotography forward slash shop. And there you will find the mini mastermind sessions and you can register. I look forward to working with you. Well, there's two, two other statements that I want to just say, read it from the book real quick. And one is you can view a request for a discount as your opportunity to show them just how valuable you are. Tell them this is not an arbitrary number. The price represents the value of the service. And on the next page from that, you go on to say, be your brand unapologetically. Badass brands don't apologize for who they are and what they stand for. They relish it. And so what you just said about making money and everything is, is so right on with these two statements and they kind of flow into one another, but that disc, the discounts, and I get that request a lot, you know, people will call and they'll say, well, I need, I want a headshot session. I'll say, okay, well, how much do you charge? And I tell them how, you know, what my process is, how every, you know, it all works, what the price is, what they get for that price and everything. And I, 
believe full heartedly that I am underpriced. I am mm-hmm. higher than other people in my area, but I provide a lot of value and mm-hmm. very good quality. So mm-hmm. I stick to my pricing, but people will say, well, I just need one headshot. And I'm like, well, this is my headshot package. And I don't sway from that because if they don't value my expertise and the value that I'm providing for them, then they're not my ideal client. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, at this point, I, I would, I even switch that conversation up because if they're coming for a headshot, like when I have conversations with potential clients, the first thing I do, cause they always say, well, tell me what you do. You know, how can you help me? They want you to pitch them. And I usually turn it around and say, well, hold on. I don't know if I can help you. Let me hear more about you. And I let them talk and I want to find out more about them. And half the time I'll say, you're not a good fit for us. Um, and, and I think that it's an interesting experience to take, it's, to take it away. I think salespeople kind of teach the takeaway as a tactic, but if you're doing it genuinely, it comes more from you're not an ideal client. If you just want a headshot and you want to not pay a lot of money because the purpose of your headshot is just, um, you know, I need a new headshot. I, I work for this company and it doesn't really matter. You're not an ideal client. <laughs> like I don't, I don't want to work with you. So it's not so much um, that you're over, that you cost more. It's just, this is not a meeting of the minds at all because they're really mm-hmm. not looking, even though they technically want a headshot and you're selling a headshot, they're really not looking for what you're selling and they're not going to value it. So yeah. 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 And I think that goes along with any line of business or any niche Mm -hmm. that you're in. Mm -hmm. If we don't value what we're putting out and, and keep that, um, Oh, what's the right word? Um, (laughs) you know what I'm trying to say? Like, you know, when you, if you don't stand to what you believe your value is and you do give discounts constantly undermining your value, undermining. That's it. Yes. Yes. If you're undermining your own value, nobody else is ever going to see your value. That's what I was trying to say. And actually, if you're willing to just give a discount without taking anything away, you are creating a scenario where your price is arbitrary. And Mm -hmm. I, I find it to actually be disingenuous. I know that's not how people mean it, but it's disingenuous because that means that the next person that came that comes to you, if they pay full price, it's almost like they're getting suckered because they could have gotten it for less. And that's what I think is a problem with the, you know, variable pricing. And, uh, when people, whenever I have asked somebody, you know, I'll just try it. Like, well, well, can I do it for less? If they will do it automatically for less then I'm, I'm like, well, how much less would they have done it for? You know, all of a sudden I'm thinking to myself, am I, am I the sucker (laughs) that pays full price for this stuff? (laughs) Um, it, that doesn't feel good either. So it's, it's as much about your client feeling good about your value as it is about you feeling good about your value. Yeah. It's a two way street there. Mm-hmm. And then to be your brand unapologetically, I think that's a huge statement. Yeah. I mean, that is really the torch that I carry <laughs> and it's about owning whatever it is that makes you special. I mean, that's really what branding, building a unique badass brand is all about. It's really hard for a lot of people to own what they're all about when somebody looks at their website and says, you know, you really, I'm confused by this, or I sh- you shouldn't do this. Or somebody says, you know, you should really go in that space or whatever it is. Being unapologetic about your brand is showing up and saying, 
thanks, but no thanks. This is what I'm all about. And I'm putting all of my energy into being the best, most excellent version of that that I can be. And I think that's really where the fulfillment is and also where the profit is. Yeah, I agree 100%. And you've, you've said in the book too, that money from an ideal client increases your credibility and it also increases your referral source. And you've hinted to that in something you said a little bit earlier, but I think that's, that's a critical way of thinking when you're evaluating, oh, well, okay, I need the work. So I'll just give them a discount and bring them on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the person that gets the discount is a terrible referral source for you <laughs> because whoever, first of all, anybody who won't pay you your full price and doesn't see the value is, you know, what do you say? Um, Apple doesn't far, fall far from the tree. Birds of a feather flock together. You know, they are usually hanging out with other people who feel the same way. And even if they aren't, when they refer you to somebody else, they'll probably mention in the wrong farm. You know, you yeah. want to be sending out people into the world who paid top dollar. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had some clients who really balked at the price and then came back and said, you were the highest price. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh, you know, I wouldn't bring it down at all. I wouldn't give them any sort of discount. They finally they bought it and they became the best referral sources. And th- when they introduce us, they, the introductions are funny too, because the introductions will say like, don't mess with her. <laughs> She's not going <laughs> to give you a discount. <laughs> they're very expensive, but they're worth it. And that is the best intro that I can get. I love when people mm-hmm. give introductions like that. Like you don't want to mess with people. I've also had clients come to me and say, normally I would ask for a discount, but I know you won't budge on that. I'm like, awesome. You know, I really created this personality out there where people are they genuinely scared to ask me for a discount. Great. You shouldn't. There's no reason yeah. to. Yeah. yeah. Well, I draw a line on the sand. You can be that too. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the more you believe in yourself and your value and the more confident you are, the more referrals you're going to get because people will just simply believe in you and honor the work you're providing. Yeah. And I think when people hear that, they especially if they're newer in business or their prices are not super premium yet, they think they're not there yet. But I completely disagree. Whatever stage you're at and whatever price point you're at, you can be unapologetic about the value at that price point. So you can be new. You can be charging $50 an hour or $25 an hour, which I would consider like newer rates, right? Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, But that, that doesn't mean that you're in a position where you need to barter. It means that you're at the $50 rate and that's okay. Draw a line in the sand there and know that, that you're worth that and then do things to increase your value so you can increase that price as well. Yeah. Now, let me ask you this. Now that you said that, like at what point do you, do you think there is a definitive point where, okay, now I know it's time to increase my prices. Now I know I'm worth more. Like, Do you have experience with that? Great question. Yeah. I have the system I implemented for raising prices that I highly recommend, which is raise early and often, um, but don't necessarily raise that much. So I think pricing is all relative. (laughs) Numbers are all relative. There is nothing, and I, you know, there is nothing that is cheap or expensive. It's all about the two people that are having that conversation. Um, you might be very expensive to one person and so cheap they won't hire you to another person. And I have not hired lots of people who are inexpensive 
because it didn't match up. And I questioned what they knew when they told mm -hmm. me their price. So it works both ways is my point. Most people think it only works one way. It definitely works both ways. You might be shooting yourself in the foot by being underpriced. That said, being able to quote a price, you have to feel confident in that price. You have to believe in that value. The second you quote a price that you don't feel confident in and somebody asks for a discount, you start to question yourself. Mm, maybe I am overpriced. Maybe this doesn't match the value that I'm giving. And that's where you get into deep water. That's where you get into trouble. So what I suggest is start at a price where you absolutely feel con confident, close a couple of clients, raise it a little, close a couple more raise it a little more. And I would do that again, often. So there was a point in time uh, where I was just raising, I would close two or three clients and then I would raise the price a thousand dollars because it, you know, at that point it was like 5,000 then it's 6,000. I, I went from five to 10,000 in a few months for our one day brand up just by doing that. I probably mm -hmm. could have just jumped to 10,000, but I didn't feel confident enough. So if someone's going to pay 6,000, they'll pay 6,500 or seven. You know, if someone's going to pay seven, they'll probably pay 7,500 or eight. And that's how I raised the prices and, and built the confidence at the same time. So that's what I recommend. Oh, that's great advice. I love that. Okay. So in the book, you talked about how you've excluded the free work that people usually do between meeting um, prospective clients and then actually closing a deal and getting paid. So I would love for you to talk a little bit about that because I still struggle with this a little bit. Um, I just had this happen recently where I spent hours with someone, you know, and I, I'm basically giving them all this information for free, which I'm happy to do knowing that they're going to come on board and become a client. But then when that happens and they don't come on board, you lose all of that time and energy and money that, that you could have made had you just charged them a consultation fee to determine whether or not they're coming in for your program or not coming in for your program. So I call it a lead product and it, it replaces the proposal. And the reason that I started doing this was because we were originally a design, we evolved into a branding company. We were a graphic design company. We were doing logos and websites, right? And over the years in my attempt to get better and better at presenting the logos, we would go deeper and deeper before we did the design into what they were looking for and what their business was all about. So we could give them good logos and logos that actually made sense for them. And, you know, so, so basically unintentionally, I start, I became a strategist. <laughs> so by trying, just desperately trying to get them to um, see why we did the logos that we did. So that's what this came out of. And eventually we started doing this interview as just part of our process. Before we did the logo designs, we would interview them and get to know all about their business so we could do the logo design. And then I realized I could um, separate that and make that the first step of our process without them hiring us for the design. Because I had a few people around me say they just wanted the, the branding strategy or they just needed the help. So I started selling that as its own thing. That's our brand shrink. So now uh, when I talk to a potential client, it's usually a 15 minute conversation where I'm asking them a bunch of questions about their business to figure out if they are the perfect ideal client for us. And if they are, I then tell them, great, 
Well, the first step is our brand shrink. Um, right now it's $4,000, but you know, the first step is our brand shrink. You, this is what it will, you will get, you know, we'll deep dive into your business and I will give you a brief that tells you what your brand's all about, what you need to start doing, stop doing. I'll give you all the, you know, information about the strategy of where you should go with your messaging and your marketing. Um, and then after that, if you want us to implement all of it, then it will be a one, two or three day intensive. And what that does is it, it gives potent, uh, prospects uh, a, a decision point right then on a 15 minute conversation. And, you know, I usually just say, yeah, so I'll send you the link, take your time when you're ready, you can just book it and pay for it and that's it. And I don't do any follow-up or anything because it's super, super clear. Every client that wants to work with us has to do this first. Some people just do that because they want the strategy. Um, but if you know that you want to hire us for the full shebang, you just do the brand shrink first because it's part of the final price. So I apply the 4,000 to the final price of the brand up, which is a critical piece. I don't think mm -hmm. people understand how critical that piece is. A lot of people who are hiring us for branding don't understand the strategy or why they would want it. If it wasn't part of the final price, they would think, well, I don't really, they would ask that question. Well, I don't really need that. I don't really want mm -hmm. that. I certainly don't want to pay $4,000 for that. If it just gets applied to the full price, you really have no choice and you're also working towards working with us. Um, but, the, but another critical piece of the lead product puzzle is that it has to be strategy. It has to be some sort of deliverable of, of a strategic plan, idea, whatever it is. So as long as you can come up with something and you're bringing some sort of strategic thinking to what you're doing, you absolutely can make a lead product out of that. And that really cuts to the chase. So you don't have to have that hour long conversation with them. You can, and I wouldn't even, I would really call it something and give it value. I wouldn't call, call it a paid consultation because a consultation doesn't sound like value. What people mm. want are answers and they'll pay for answers. So uh, a lead product has to provide some sort of answer, even if that answer is, I've given uh, brand shrink briefs where the answer is, here are things, here are some questions that you need to figure out. That's your answer. And you're welcome because you don't know that you need to answer these questions before you move forward. So it's about being uh, confident about the fact that you also know that the strategic information you're giving is actually very valuable to people. Yeah, I love that. I, I think it's absolutely brilliant because then you're not frustrated and annoyed when they don't hire you simply because of price. Absolutely. And, it, and it's, um, you know, I prefer to spend my time building my reputation and my personal brand and content and all of the things that bring more leads to me and then have the actual time I spend with prospects be as short as possible. It's, you know, it's 15 minutes. Here's the link. I just get the email that they booked and paid. Um, you never know. And I'm okay with that. I like putting it in their court. You know where, you know how to work with us. So if you want to work with us, you know what to do and that's it. There's no other, you know, conversation about it really. Yeah. Well, it streamlines the process as well. Absolutely. And it frees up time because you can spend so much time with people who, mm -hmm they might not know that they're not going to hire you, but they were never going to hire you. And you don't really know that. So this is yeah. time. This is a great way to put their feet to the fire. And, you know, my brand shrink was originally 650. Um, I've, I've coached people on doing a, a, um, a lead product. That's a hundred dollars, $150. It doesn't matter. 
It just has to be something so that you separate the people who are really just shopping and don't even know it from the people who are actually really serious about getting information from you. And if you do it well, that first step that they pay for will also have them buy in more to what you're actually going to end up doing because now they've spent an hour with you or two hours with you and they've gotten so much value out of it and they've paid for it. So they value it even more because if you give yeah. them that value it for free, they actually don't value it as much. So they don't. Everyone should do it. <laughs> I, I agree 100% yeah. because I've actually had that happen where, you know, someone has says, Oh, I I'm going to hire you to do all my photography. I have a new book coming out and I I'm going to be doing speaking engagements and I'm going to put pictures on my so website. Tempting. <laughs> and I give them a whole, I mean, not recently, but mm-hmm. several years ago, I gave them an entire shot list, all these ideas. And then on social media, I'm seeing all of my ideas in very poor quality photographs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, okay, I totally got took. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they yeah. went and had a friend take the pictures so they didn't have to pay for them. And it's like, but now they, right. they're representing themselves with poor quality and yeah. You know, they, I would never work with them again. And, and they may not have even known that they were going to do that. Yeah. You know, right. I mean, it may just right. have kind of, they turned out, huh, maybe I could try this myself and save a few bucks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think that's brilliant to, to have the money up front. It's a game changer. So, I mean, it yeah. is, it really is a business changer. If you, if you, I I highly suggest everyone tries it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So Pia, we're kind of getting close to running out of time, but there's a couple questions I still want to ask you. And one is you are a Forbes contributor and I would Mm -hmm. love to know how you stepped into that role because in my opinion, that's very reputable. I mean, that's what an incredible way to get your name out there and grow your personal brand. Yes. Um, So I wrote a blog on my website for three years before I got that Forbes contributorship. Um, And I consistently wrote articles and I became a much better writer. My first articles were terrible. Uh, I have have since archived them. They were really bad. Um, But I spent a lot of energy and time trying to build my voice and, and write good articles. And I always wrote about small business branding. And then my um, colleague, who was a Forbes contributor, said that her, the editor at Forbes, was asking her if she knew anybody who could write about small business as a column. And on the one hand, I think a lot of people might think, oh, you had an in. But it's not an in because this friend knows so many people who could theoretically write about small business, right? Every small business owner could write about small business. But she thought of me because I had been sending her emails about me writing consistently for years. So she just told him, um, oh yeah, I'm the perfect person. You should meet Pia. And I was basically a shoe in But the, the, the most important piece was I did three years of work to be that shoe in mm-hmm. uh, and, and I also, because they don't, they don't bring you on as a contributor if you don't already write a ton of stuff. Because mm-hmm. lots of people will say they're going to write and then disappear. So they really want somebody who's reliable. Um, they, they won't just bring anyone on to write about small business branding because you have to actually show that you know a lot about that and are going to write about that. So that's how I got it. Um, and I always encourage people, if you want to be a contributor to any sort of publication, the best thing you can do is write a ton of stuff and already be that person. When she made that introduction to me, and she, by the way, she had been a Forbes contributor and my friend 
that whole three years. So she could have introduced me at any time. So that, just imagine how long that took her to even think of me and for that situation to happen. She didn't make that introduction until he asked. So really important to already be that person. When she told me that, I was both excited and also like, well, yeah, I'm the perfect person for that. I should get that now because I actually do write about that. I'm actually that person. So be that person and you'll get those opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. That's so important. And like you said, it doesn't happen overnight. And I so love the fact that you have mentioned the email list numerous times because this is one of those things that I practically preach to my clients because you don't own anything out there on social media, but you own your website. So blogging is so important to have a home for all of the content that you're so brilliantly creating. And then two, to distribute it to people because they're not going to just happen upon your website to read your blog. And the more emails you put out, the more credibility you build. Mm -hmm. And yep. because you're driving people to see what you're doing, what you're creating. Otherwise, the majority of people are, aren't even going to know what you're doing. And you're reminding them that you exist. It's just seeing your name consistently. And there have been people that I've met that I cannot for the life of me remember their name at some point, but I remember what they do and I wish I could figure out who they are. And if they had been emailing me, I would, you know, would know who they were. So yeah. there's all kinds of people who have not gotten business. I know just personally is my experience. So I know this is happening to everyone where if they had been showing up in my inbox, I definitely would have reached out to them, but I couldn't remember their name because I didn't see yeah. them again. It keeps you front of mind and it also gives you tons of opportunity for referral sources because even if that person reading the email or seeing your name pop up isn't in need of your services today, they might have a discussion in the afternoon with someone who does need those services today. Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly. And it, I get a lot of emails that say something along the lines of, "I." I, I just saw your email and it reminded me that I wanted to reach out to you about this thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, I get, I get that all the time. So yeah, I do too. It's hard to do, but it's worth it. It, it is like, a in fact, I just had one of those emails today and it's from a former <laughs> portrait client that they want to order more prints. So just like that today, I sent an email out and I'm making money. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, exactly. And, and you reminded them and that's, you yeah. know, people take a while to pull the trigger on things. We're busy, you know, lots of yeah. things are coming in our emails. So you have to be patient. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So now I want to ask you, what is your favorite book? <laughs> so that's a tough question. Cause I have a lot of books that I truly, truly love. Um, but a, a book that I, and some of them are books that everybody's heard of. So one that not everyone has heard of, but has been very um, game-changing for me is The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. And I love this book because it is a perspective shifter in terms of how much we limit ourselves to um, jump to a, a level of extraordinary and excellence that we might not know is even possible. And I read it, I read parts of it often because it's just a really great reminder of how much we limit ourselves in ways that we are completely unaware of and uh, highly recommend it. Oh, that's great. I haven't read that, but I can tell you, I'm going to pick it up because as an entrepreneur, you get imposter syndrome quite frequently. And mm -hmm. it sounds like this would be a great book to help alter that mindset sometimes. Oh yeah. We self-sabotage in all kinds of ways. And it's, and it, the self-sabotage that he talks about is, is a different kind than I normally see in self-sabotaging 
content. <laughs> so it takes it to another level. And, um, you know, one thing that really sticks out to me is he, he breaks down these different ways that family dynamic dynamics when you're growing up can actually contribute to limiting yourself. So in families, you may not even know it, but your parents maybe weren't even supportive of you necessarily being a standout because they didn't want your siblings to, to feel bad. So they may have done things inadvertently that it is like trying to keep everybody, you know, equal or stuff out of mm -hmm. love, but you took that and then are doing things subconsciously that are stopping you from doing the big stuff that could, you know, really be impactful on your life. And so it's a great read. Yeah. Oh, good. I will put that in the show notes for sure, as well as the link to your book in the show notes. Thank you. Yes, please. <laughs> and um, do you have a favorite quote? That's the other question I like to ask. Um, I love the quote, um, if I had more time, I would have written a shorter letter, <laughs> which is often contributed to um, Mark Twain or Thomas Jefferson. Uh, because it's my struggle. And I think a lot of people struggle, which is, you know, clarity and being concise is so powerful and it takes more time. And I don't think people take enough time to get to that clear, concise idea in, in life and talking as well as obviously in writing. Yeah. Clarity is the number one C in my five C's of personal branding. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it should be. Okay. So one last thing I want to ask you about, and yes. we'll end here, but I know that you are very passionate about efficiency. Yes. And I would love to, you to tell us a little bit about your passion for efficiency <laughs> and what that means. My passion for efficiency. Um, I don't know where it came from, but I love everything to be as efficient as possible. And I think that's what led me to this business. Um, but it, it is just about, I think it really is wrapped up in time and my um, hyper awareness of time being the most precious resource that we have and kind of valuing my time more than anything else. So efficiency falls in line when you value time. Um, so I want as much time and I want freedom over as much of my time as possible. And therefore I'm always looking for ways where I can cut out things that I don't have to do or outsource them or order this, or, you know, I would rather spend as much of my time doing things that are I'm really excited about in my business and my personal brand, and also spending time with my son and my husband and my family. To me, those are the two most important things and everything else can be you know, put into a process or outsourced or, uh, you know, just don't do it. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Okay. So where can the listeners find you and connect with you and learn more about you? Uh, well, you can go to my website, piasilva.com, uh, or you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook at pialovesyourbiz.com. Although I I hang out mostly on Instagram and I love connecting with people there. I answer all my DMs. I answer all my um, comments. So that would be a great place to come and connect. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much, Robin. This was a true pleasure.